Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am Jonah, joined once again by my co-host Ben. Welcome back, Ben. Hello, hello. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Do you want to tell everyone about your traumatic incident last week? Sure. Um, So I was unavailable because I was in the emergency room because I was eating salmon with my dad and he is usually very diligent about getting all of the bones out of said piece of fish. And it turns out there was still one bone left. And in the very last bite of salmon, uh, it literally got embedded in my tonsil and was sticking out in the back of my throat. And I needed to go to the emergency room so they could reach down there with long metal tweezers and yank it out. And how fun was that? It was thrilling. They had to spray numbing stuff down my throat, which is why I couldn't join. So I did get back from the emergency room before the podcast started last week. But my my throat was still numb for like another hour and a half, two hours afterwards. So I couldn't really say anything. And that's a Um, weird feeling. I've had that before for (laughs) I forget what it is, but there's like a spray that you can get even at CVS or something. Yeah. And you feel weird swallowing even. It's a very strange sensation. Yeah, it was it was weird and it was also really I mean, I wasn't I wasn't in pain or anything and I didn't feel it. It just felt like I had a piece of food stuck back there. The problem was, and I'm not going to get too in depth cuz it's gross, was it was hitting uh, the uvula and you know what that does if you touch that. So, if you don't it makes you throw up. So, I was in very in a very uncomfortable position because I couldn't do anything because it would keep moving around back there. So, yeah. So but we now were, you're better. Yeah. Well, the worst part was uh, I was with my parents, obviously, because my dad was cooking the salmon, and we were trying to get to an urgent care. And my mom was taking me and we were like speeding to an urgent care, which is right down the road from their house. And we get there and it's a Sunday night uh, and we get there and it is 5.04 p.m. And the urgent care closes at 5 p.m. So we couldn't go to the urgent care. So we then had to drive another 10 minutes down the road with me in her car going. Yeah. And trying not to hit any bumps or anything in the road and get to the like, there's like a community down the road from them that has like a, an annex for a hospital that's 24 seven. So it's like a mini hospital. And we went in there and then I, I was like some sort of circus show because like five people had to come in and look at my throat. So they knew what they were grabbing before they went in. Um, Otherwise they didn't want to like hit something wrong. And then they were like, Oh, well, bring in plan B also just in case. And I'm like, please don't. I'm, <laughs> I'm like sitting there like, no, because I don't know what plan B is. I've seen medical shows. I thought they were going to do that thing where they like cut your throat open. Plan and, B uh, is they take a blowtorch to melt the bone. No, plan. well, plan B was if they knocked it out and it went all the way down my throat, they were going to like use a scope and like go all the way down my throat to get it. But uh, luckily they got it out with the with the tweezers and... It was like, I mean, I'm showing you on the screen, but it was like a solid inch and a half long, um, which is wild. So that was fun. It's a good thing that didn't happen up here because the roads up here, let me tell you, pretty bad with this freeze thaw cycle. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I'm just glad it didn't happen with my brother and it happened with my parents instead, because my brother would have just been like, <laughs> and then went and probably sat down somewhere else. So. I basically would would have gotten no uh, no care out of it, but yeah. Well, we're glad to have you back. Glad to be back. Me Should and be... all the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I still can't believe it happened. It's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah, I can't imagine. And I'm glad there are no photos for me to see. Yeah, nobody nobody thought to take photos, so that's good. But uh, yeah, and uh, just to get into games right away in terms of what we were playing while we were down there, because we were playing games before we ate dinner. Uh, my mom has a, a backgammon set, and we played like oh sweet. We probably played like 15 games of backgammon while I was down there with them, and I lost the vast majority of them. I have not played backgammon in probably 15 years, and I remember never understanding the movement anytime I played. Yeah, it took a little bit for me to get used to, but is I mean, I enjoy it. It's like a classic fun game that it's not like too hard to learn. It takes a little bit to grasp the movement, but I think once you do that, it's not terrible. Um my problem is those two stupid pieces that start in like the enemy territory during setup. I right. I'm so bad at getting those out of the enemy territory because I'm worried about separating them and having like the pieces get captured and then having to bring them in in like a more difficult way later. So I got stuck with those pieces in my mom's zone while she was clearing her board like at least five times. And then I was like racing to get them across the board. It was really bad. But uh, yeah, I guess she won. Yeah, she won quite a bit. And then I came back here and I was hanging out with Ashley yesterday and she beat me at backgammon as well. Wow. Yeah, she was she learned backgammon while I was in Florida from her mom. And she was like, oh, I'm going to beat you at backgammon. And I'm like, no, you're not going to beat me at backgammon. And then she beat me at backgammon. So then you played a co-op game after that, right? Uh, no, we actually played another game called Sequence. Sequence, uh, okay. So Sequence is a... It's definitely a 100% luck-based card game, but the way it works is there's a board that goes in the center of the table, and on the board, there are two of each card in the game. So it's a, it's not exactly a normal deck of cards, and I'll get to that in a little bit, but it's essentially two normal decks of cards combined with a couple of variations. Um, and on the board, there are two of each card pictured on the board and the whole board is in like a random scrambled image of like where the cards are and you're basically trying to like play cards and put out five in a row when we lived in korea a friend of ours who had been living in this town for a long time had a board for sequence and he did not know what the game was called and i think he learned it from his korean family members because he married a korean woman and that's why he was still around there but he had this like poster board sized board for sequence it was you know like two feet by three feet and it was really impressive so yeah i mean 
I can definitely see that a poster size board would help because yeah. <laughs> because trying to distinguish. So what happens when you play a card is you put a little like mini poker chip on the card, like on the picture of the card on the board. And then at that point, you're just looking at like the little suit f- image underneath the number. And it's like microscopic. So the hardest part of this game is actually finding the card on the board because you don't know where it is. It's a ran- It's random. It's not like in any real order except for a couple spots on the board. Um, but where this differs from a normal deck of cards are there's a one eyed jack. So there are I don't know how many because I didn't count, but there are one eyed jacks that are like the head is turned. So you only see one eye and there are two eyed jacks. So there are two eyes on the jack. Uh, If you draw a two-eyed jack, it's a wild. You can put a chip anywhere. If you draw a one-eyed jack, you get to remove one chip that your opponent has placed on the board. Um, I only got one jack the entire time. And what is the goal of this game? Is it to put chips down? So the goal is to put down chips so that you end up with five chips in a row. Uh, and we played twice and I lost both of those as well after trash talking, uh, and saying I was going to win the first game. I'm going to call the first game a wash and was the luckiest thing I've ever seen in my life because she must've had five spots that were four in a row after like her first 10 minutes of playing. Like everything was just coming up in the right spot for her, which is fine. Um, the second game was much, much closer, and I had a two-eyed jack, and I drew the one card I needed to make a fourth, and then I could play the two-eyed jack to make a fifth spot, and right right after I pulled the card I needed, Ashley played a two-eyed jack and won the game. So, oh, man. Uh, she said she had just drawn it, so she got lucky there as well. But, no, it was fun. I mean, it's definitely, it's one of the easiest games I've ever played, because it's literally... You have seven cards, you put a card down and put a chip down and then draw another card. And you're just trying to get five in a row. Like, that's it. How many people can play it? Um, I'm not sure if there's a player limit, to be honest. Let me look. I mean, I know she's played it more than two, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't look at the box. So let me look at the box really quick and see if it says two to twelve. 12 holy cow yeah so it was fun i i enjoyed it and the other thing where maybe a tiny bit of strategy comes in is usually the the two images of the card are on the opposite sides of the board or in like some different sections of the board so you can actually play a card out of your sequence or like where you're focusing to like jam up the gears of your opponent and put it in their section, um, which I did once or twice. And I'm sure that that comes into play more with more players, but uh, that can happen. And then the four corners are free spaces. So if you make a sequence out of one of the corners, you only need four in a row. That's nice. Uh, And then the final game that we played together which I'd been hyping up for a little while, and I was glad to see that she seemed to enjoy it, was the first scenario of Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. And I know Patrick discussed this uh, a few times. Um, so just to give some background, and I don't know if Ashley's going to listen. If she is, that's fine. 
her board game playing is not quite as in depth as our board game playing. I would say she's a casual board gamer. She plays later games. Exactly. Um, So this is definitely a step up and I hope she doesn't mind me saying that, but this is definitely a step up from the games that she has played before. Um, But I think that Jaws of the Lion, which is what Patrick had told me, which is why I felt comfortable bringing this game, um, does a really, really good job at stepping you into the world of Gloomhaven and building up the rule set so that you understand how the game works. So even in scenario one, they basically walk you through how to play the first scenario in the in the learn to play book, and they don't put in things like looting. So like when you kill a monster in regular Gloomhaven, you usually put like a coin down so you can go and like pick up the loot and get treasure. There's no looting in scenario one. Um, The enemies don't have any like special cards in scenario one. So it keeps it very, very basic. The only thing that I would say would have been nice to have in scenario one, and this is probably more a benefit for people like Ashley, who are casual board gamers and play lighter games, is the questions that came up a lot were like more around strategy. It didn't really walk you through the strategy of like, you're this character. Why do you want to play these cards? And that was those were the questions that were coming up. Mm-hmm. Are all of these streamlined bits streamlined just for session one or for the whole campaign? And also, do you know the answer to that? <laughs> uh, I do know the answer. They're streamlined for session one, and then they add another rule set in session two, and then three, four, and five. And after five, you know all of the rules, and they've added everything in, and then you continue through. And I think there are 25 um, scenarios. So one through five build on each other. Um, So one is really just like the basics, like playing a card, resting so that you get cards back, movement, attack. And, and at the end of session one, mini spoilers, I guess, um, they give you cards that give you the ability to loot. So I'm guessing in session two, they're going to talk about how you loot things. So mm-hmm. That's really good that they do that because a lot of board games have an easy and an advanced or a basic and an advanced variant to them. And a lot of times, you know, we'll start out ourselves with, the basic one like cerebria you know cerebria has all these player powers and asymmetry and deck building but we just ourselves started the first few times with you know playing the basic way with no different player powers and there are some games that even when i teach people will play a round or two of it with the basic aspects make sure everyone understands it and then we can do it again with the advanced rules added to it and it it seems to flow really well for a lot of games yeah yeah i was really happy with with this way of doing it as well especially trying to bring somebody in who plays lighter games most of the time so yeah i was really happy with how it turned out and i've played a couple sessions of regular gloomhaven it felt like classic gloomhaven it's really neat that the board is the storybook which Mm -hmm. is like the big selling point of this one. It's not a giant box with like a ton of map pieces and things like that. Um, So you just lay it out and on, on the scenario book, it's got like the intro text, the special rules, 
little tips that point things out on the board itself. Um, so for session one, there were like obstacles and there was like a little pointer that said tip. This is an obstacle. The demolitionist, which is a character neither of us are playing, can destroy this. Once destroyed, it becomes a normal hex that you can walk over. Like it gives you little tips and it was really, really nice. So um, I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to playing the next one. And now that I have somebody who I'm regularly hanging out with, maybe I'll get a campaign game done that isn't a pandemic legacy with you guys. Yeah, that'll be really cool. I know Patrick's quite enjoying Jaws of the Lion as well. I think he, Candy, and Ray are 10 or 12 scenarios into it already. So that's great. Yeah, so hopefully we can catch up sometime soon and discuss with him. That would be cool just to hear like their thoughts and stuff. Um, I think the only difference, which I think is kind of maybe a good thing. I, I don't know. I know in original Gloomhaven, there are so many scenarios and you don't always play all of them. I don't know. And Patrick, I know you're going to listen, but I'll ask you anyway afterwards. Um, I don't know if once you get past scenario five, if it opens up and you might not play the same scenarios. So I don't know if their group will end up playing scenarios that Ashley and I will not play and vice versa. I, or I don't know if you just play through all 25 and that's it. So right, kind like of branching paths or something. Exactly. We'll see. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. And that's that's what I've played in the last two weeks. So, yeah. All right. I played three games this week. I'm going to go with shortest to longest. Not that any of them took that long. Uh, I played a game of Star Realms with Jessica. It was, uh, I don't know, some weeknight this past week, and I was bored, and Jessica could tell that I was bored and that I want to do things with friends and that I can't see any friends. So Jessica, being a loving wife, said, let's play a game. So we played Star Realms, and every time I play Star Realms, I am happier and happier that I have Star Realms, because it's just so much fun. It's so quick and easy, and the only downside to Star Realms is that Jessica doesn't like how pointy the corners on the sleeves are, and uh, that's really it. <laughs> what an interesting uh, dislike, but it's funny. Yeah, so I actually won. At Star Realms, Ooh. which is really good because Jessica kills me all the time. And we tried a new deck. I don't know. They're, in Star Realms, there's the basic set of cards, and then there's the Frontiers expansion, and then there's the one with the planet on the bottom right, and then there's the one with the star on the bottom right. I don't even know the names of them. I just know the symbols on the bottom right for card separation. But we played with, I think, the Frontiers expansion, and I think... This deck was kind of aggressive. We were getting a lot of do a lot of damage cards. But Jessica actually was able to purchase a card that I had not seen before. I mean, I hadn't seen a lot of these before. But it was a really great card. It was a trade federation card. So the blue faction. And it gave her three health three coins and three uh, shooter points. And that seemed like a really good card. Yeah, that sounds really powerful. Nonetheless, I won. So uh, not powerful enough. How does it feel to win, Jonah? Because I resorted to saying, I'm going to make you lose to Ashley in Gloomhaven <laughs> next time, which means I would also lose. 
uh, yeah, it was pretty nice. Pretty nice. Um, so that was Star Realms. Quick, easy, and always enjoyable. I'm glad to have this giant box of way too many Star Realms cards, because every time I play it, I like it more, and think I have even more to get through, which is nice. Yep. The next game that I played this past week was a game of PAX Premier 2nd Edition. Played it with Nick and Jamie. And we also saw a card that we hadn't seen before, which I think is more unique in PAX Premier because we saw an event card that we hadn't seen before. Hmm. And it... I forget what the bottom one... Because, you know, there's if purchased and if discarded... Yep, and one of them was nobody's patriots count until the next dominance check. So if everyone is the same faction and someone has three patriots and you have no patriots, if you buy that, you are on equal footing for the dominance check, which I thought was a pretty wow. serious swing. That sounds really cool, though. Yeah. So there was that one. Um, this game... Ended with a whimper, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, sometimes in Pax Premier you have some big battles going on on the map, and sometimes you have someone just trying to buy a card to stop the next person from winning, or not buy a card to stop the next person from winning. And it was okay in that respect, but the game itself was a good time. And yeah, glad I played it. So I haven't played that one in a while. I'll have to, I'll have to play it again soon. Yeah, it's still fun, and more fun in person, like every game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last game I played this week was Tokyo Metro. Jordan, who I think is going to come on the show next week, we have a fun episode planned for next week if everything falls into place. Uh, I was playing some Apex Legends with Jordan and talking about what board game to play. And he was looking through the episodes we've done, and I was looking through the games that I thought he would like. And at the same time, we both said Tokyo Metro. So it was meant to be. We played Tokyo Metro. It was me, geez, me, Jordan, Nick, and Jonathan, or John. John is a friend of Sean's, and he has played Tokyo Metro many times before. And we played on the expansion map, which I still like more than the base map. I think it's A, a lot less cluttered just to look at, and B, more balanced. There are fewer stations that have like six lines going through them, which seem really strong. And yeah, it was really fun. Jordan enjoyed it and ended up winning by 200 yen. Very close game. So th- and yeah, go so on. So the so this is the Osaka map that you were playing on. Yeah, the Osaka map with the Osaka cards as well. Okay. There's a slight change. So you bid for turn order in this game, and in the base game, there's a card that gives you plus two hundred yen to your turn order bid next round. That is gone, and another card that is added to to this expansion is one that lets you sell your stock. So you can have a stock that is worth a lot of money and you can actually sell it to get that money before the speculators get their money at the end of the game. Because at the end of the game, stocks pay out to the speculators before the shareholders 
And with that card, you can actually sell your share and make the money before you make less money due to that speculator rule. Or I remember the speculator rule. That right. one, I, I think I leaned heavily on that, and I didn't buy enough stocks last time I played. Yeah, so I am still exploring the game. It's still a lot of fun. Nick did a great job purchasing shares. He bought a share in the I train, the K train, and the N train, and then professed to us that it was totally coincidental that he spelled his name, Nick, with his shares. I don't buy it. But uh, he continued on his share-buying spree and bought the S, the T, and the Y. And eventually he was able to spell Stinky with his shares. So he was definitely doing that on purpose. (laughs) I think later on he was, yeah. Uh, But it was interesting that you could own a share in S-T-I-N-K-Y, six lines, and not win. Because I thought holding shares in all these lines was going to be worth a lot of money. Turns out, not so much. Yeah. And I think last time I played, I said, oh, it was not repaying your shares I didn't think was punishing enough. Has that, yeah, has that changed enough or changed at all? I don't, I, cause I haven't played the expansion or anything. So you still, it's the same mechanism. Okay. So, so everyone knows in this game, you can take a loan and you get a thousand yen. And there are action cards that come out later that let you repay this loan for a thousand yen. But if you do not repay your loan during the game, then at the end of the game, you have to pay it back plus 50%. So 1,500 yen paid back to the bank. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So the thing is, you can turn that 1,000 yen into, you know, like 2,500, 3,000 worth of shares or speculation which is why it is, I think, worth it to just not pay it back until the end in most yep. cases. Yep. Yep. I was just curious. I didn't know if they changed anything with that because I didn't. I know that I obviously I backed the expansion plus the base game, so they so I will have them because I do like the game. But I didn't read the expansion rules or anything like that, so I wasn't sure if that had changed. Right. Yeah. I actually like a lot of things on the expansion map. There are fewer train lines which is nice and also every train line not every train line has only two spots for speculation and speed tokens so the k train i think only has one spot the n train has four spots so it's really interesting that you can do different things to those trains now yeah i that sounds interesting and i would like to give this map and version a try so hopefully i'm free next time because i feel like every time this game comes up or pax Premier comes up i'm not free to play but next time i'll try i'll try my best (laughs) we'll keep you in the loop don't worry sounds good this week we will be talking about variability in setup in different board games so I have prepared three different subcategories for this. Uh, I guess I can explain that when we are talking about variability of setup, we're talking about the different ways that you can set up a game, different things that come up in a game. And my three categories are different maps, 
different player powers. And then my third type, which you would think counts, but I think doesn't count, is different resources slash cards available. I like those categories, and I'm glad you told me which ones they were so that I could organize my games potentially into them before just spewing out a list of games. Of course. And before we dive into these categories, I think we should talk about why this is so prevalent. And I think that this is so prevalent because everyone likes a game that is replayable, and the variability of setup makes it much more replayable. You can try a different map, you can try playing as a different person in the game, and I think that really enhances everyone's experience with a game. Yeah, 100% agree. I think everybody always is, asks, like, oh, how many hours of enjoyment can you get out of this game? How replayable is it? And I think, like you said, this is a... I wouldn't... I. I hesitate to say an easy way of adding replayability because I can't imagine the work that goes into trying to balance for variable setup and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I think it is one of the most obvious ways to add replayability to a game. Right. And that's not to say that you need to have this for a game to be replayable. I think the perfect game that can be mentioned that does not have any variability but is crazy replayable and has been for millennia is chess. Yeah. Chess <laughs> and also go chess and go both start with the same board every single time. Yep. And people play it like crazy. So you do not need this for a game to be good, but with these modern board games, it has been added to a lot. And I think it really does enhance the experience. I agree. So, so Ben, why don't we start off with, different maps yep uh do you want me to go because i i feel like the first game that came to mind is on your list as well i mean it 100 percent is but sure uh, uh, maybe for me, no it 100 is uh the first game that came to mind for me was clans of caledonia mm -hmm. um it's got the four sections of the map and you they, they have two sides to each as well um and I don't remember because I don't think I've set it up in person in a long time. Uh, but does the rule book give like setup combinations or do you, how did the setup work again? You, you have to like touch the lettering to each other. Yeah. So each of these four, for all intents and purposes, rectangular tiles, map tiles have a letter and a number in one corner. So a one, through D2, for lack of an uh, easier way to explain it. And you have to have all the letters in the same corner. So what that means is each tile has two states to it, and with that you get a lot of different combinations for the map. I want to say it's 16, but it could also be 8, and I don't want to think about it right now. <laughs> yeah, that was the first one that came to mind for maps uh, for me. Um and again, I haven't set it up in a while, so, you know, Tabletop Simulator does that for us. But um, that one's just a quick, easy uh, four-tile randomization, so that one is, like, an, an easy one to set up as well. Um, I know there are other games out there, which I know one of them is going to be coming up, where you pull a bunch of tiles out and you place them around in, in random fashion. But uh, 
clans was a was a nice easy one that popped to mind for for maps and i think it does a really good job as well because not only do you need to randomize the map setup but you're also every single time changing where your starting like villager person is going to be Mm -hmm. based on how that map setup is so there's that replayability addition from the maps themselves but also one time I might start in the bottom right of a map, another time I might start in the middle, another time I might start in the top left, etc. So I think that adds a bit of uh, randomization or difference between plays as well. Um, so it kind of builds on itself. Definitely. And one thing that I wrote down earlier, because I was thinking about this is, you know, what is it about different maps that we like so much? And I think that it's great for learning the game. I don't mean learning how to play. I mean like figuring out the game because you really need to see how the different interactions work. And once you understand the core mechanics, you can figure out how they relate to the map changes. So yeah. as each different clan in Clans of Caledonia, you know you can figure out your clan, but also you can figure out where could be a good starting spot for that clan. Yeah. So a lot to explore. The next one that you're going to mention is Food Chain Magnate, which you're forcing me to bring up for the millionth time. I'm not forcing you. You did it. Um, I didn't say... People listening, I didn't force him into this. Don't listen to him. I didn't force him into this. Uh, Food Chain Magnate has a scaling map, which is really good for this as well. And randomization of map setup and i think that that is really fun because just like in clans and a lot of these other games certain strategies only work with certain maps and it's really fun to explore those strategies when those maps come up or even try them try to make them work on maps that should not allow that strategy uh that's all we need to say about food chain magnate (laughs) i do want to talk about the other type of different maps and that is ones where you actually set up the map yourself because twilight imperium actually has map creation and that takes up the first 40 minutes of this seven hour (laughs) board game uh but everyone gets dealt tiles and there are rules for where you can place these map tiles i mean you have to form the shape correctly first of all you can't just put these tiles anywhere but Within that rule, there are rules for what certain tiles can be put next to. Like you can't have a black hole next to another black hole. You can't have an empty space next to another empty space unless you are forced to. And I think that this is another bit of strategy that is really fun to try and figure out. Now, oh yeah, I've had a I've had empty space and stuff shoved next to me in Twilight Imperium many a time. Right. So the the rule book does come with preset maps for each player count but it's still really fun to create your own map at the start of the game yeah i i while it does take a a long time well it's relative it depends on how quick people move but while it does take some time to set up that map in twilight imperium i think it is i think it's better than using the setups that they mention in the rule book i think it's more fun to do that it feels a little more personal if you're gonna play a game for 12 hours 
<laughs> you want to make it feel like your own. So it's more fun to do it that way. Yeah, and you can start the uh, the wheeling and dealing before the game even really starts. Absolutely. What do you have next, Ben? Uh, for maps? For uh, maps, I have <clears throat> three more. Uh, I have two, but two of them also fall under another category as well. Um, That's good, of... because I have a secret final category oh, that I didn't oh. tell you about, and that oh, is boy. multiple of the above. <laughs> yeah, so the first one that comes to mind for multiple of the above uh, is Cloudspire. Uh, Cloudspire is also, I guess, kind of map creation versus uh, like preset tiles. You, you use these funky shaped, they're like hexes with tr- with like a stick coming off each corner, I guess you could call it. Um because they're all the pieces, all the map tiles are hexes um, that you can move on. But like the larger pieces that you're placing down to create the map have like an extra hex so that they like wedge into each other and form like a seamless map. Uh, so you're creating a map. And then in terms of player powers, it's like the most asymmetric game I've ever seen in my life. Every single faction has their own like mini rule book and dashboard and things to do. So you get um, different chips for your characters and you play them in, in various ways. So that felt like it came in under either player powers or the different cards and tiles during setup. Are you saying more asymmetric than root? I don't know. I w- <laughs> you know what? I would say root is probably more asymmetric in terms of like win condition because your win condition is the same in Cloudspire regardless of faction you're playing. Right. However, there's more faction specific info in Cloudspire, I think, than Root. So maybe I'll I'll edit that. There's more faction specific information in Cloudspire than any other game I've personally played, I think. Mm-hmm. You have your own dashboard which has like a ton of info on it and like basically individual rules tailored to each faction. It's wild. So that one came up as covering a few different things for me. All right. I'll blitz through my last two for the maps because I realized Twilight Imperium was one of those. Um, (laughs) Gaia project has different map setup. Gaia project is Terra Mystica in space and the sequel. And yeah, it has different maps set up. I have only played this once, and it was on Tabletop Simulator, so I don't fully know how the map can get set up, but I do know that it can be set up in different ways, so it counts. And my other one is The Great Zimbabwe. The Great Zimbabwe also scales at player count, just like Food Chain, and also each map tile can be rotated in any direction upon setup. I did not think about that one. All I have to do is look over at my shelf and think, which of these should I talk about today? <laughs> and I'm upstairs, so I can't look at my shelf. <laughs> so I, every time we do this, I open up Board Game Geek and go to my collection and I scroll down and I'm like, ooh, which one, which one, which one? That's what, that's what I do. Um, yeah, the, the last one for me for maps, which also covers powers, uh, is, is Black Rose Wars, which I've mentioned a, a couple times now. Um, which is interesting to me that it's come up a few times recently. Uh, But you basically 
are creating the map as well. And the board pieces are hexes, which is like a game thing, I guess. Everything has to be a hex. Um, And the center hex is always going to be the black rose room because you're creating the black rose lodge, which is like a big mansion that you're running through and like attacking other mages and things like that. And then you are like randomly putting tiles out in like a circle kind of there's another game that does this and I don't think it's twilight Imperium, but you're like placing in like a circular pattern around it until you get to like the outside. That's how you do twilight Imperium. It is. Okay. That's what I thought. That was like the one that came to mind, but I didn't remember a hundred percent. And then when you get to like the outer corners, depending on how many players there are, there are specific locations where you randomly put out the player's starting room in this mansion that you're playing in. So like the yellow player might be in the top left corner while the blue might be in the bottom right. So it changes what side of the map you're on. And every room in the Black Rose Lodge has a different benefit or effect that you can use. So depending on where you start, plus where they come out, might change how you strategize throughout the game. Uh, it also has different player powers because at uh, since you are all mages and you have spells, there are multiple spell books that you use to play the game and cast spells, and each mage that you choose, not color, but there are mages that you can pick, each mage has like a specialization in a specific school of magic and gets two cards that are player specific that have spells that only that mage performs Mm -hmm. and you love it right honestly i'm surprised i'm surprised that the god awful campaign hasn't tainted my opinion of the game so like the company ludus magna studios is lucky in my opinion that the game is actually really good i really do like this one um, I want to play it more often, but the setup is kind of a, a bear. So um, as most of my games are, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I really do like it. And I think it's a fun. It's got a little bit of player versus player and player versus environment in there because you can summon like statues and altars that do things to players. And you might want to attack those versus attacking a mage. But I think I think it's neat. It uh it's going to be hard for our listeners to get access to this game to try it out. But if you have the opportunity to try it, I would recommend giving it a shot. I think it's a fun one. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if we're into different player powers now, I wrote something down. I thought that it's good for finding the play style that works for you, as well as trying out different strategies that work and don't work. Because a lot of times when it's your first play at a game, you don't know what to do. Like you were saying with Jaws of the Lion, you know, with a new player like Ashley for one of these games, where do I go? What do I do? What's my motivation? With different player powers, as soon as you start your game, you see, oh, I'm Clan Cunningham and I can turn milk into $8. Why don't I go make some milk? And you already can start with something, even if it isn't a winning strategy or something that does what you're supposed to do in the game fully. It helps you land on your feet and figure out the game. So I think that's really good for these types of games. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think having that little bit of, of a push in the right direction 
always helps games start smoother. So it's not like you're taking a couple of turns to really get a feel for the game every time. So I think it gets you into the action quicker, which I like. Right. And for the different player power games, I have Anachrony, I have Twilight Imperium, I have Cerebria, and I have Gaia Project. And just now I was thinking about this. So I have a multifaceted question for you, Ben. Oh, I love multifaceted questions. Does, or maybe do, since we're talking about variability of setup, do social deduction games like Blood on the Clock Tower and Werewolves count? And the second part of this question is, did you play your online werewolves game? And can you talk about it yet? Yeah. Uh, answer I'll part answer one the f- first. Yeah, I'll answer part one. Um I think they fall, I I would say that they fall under variable player power, but I don't think that there's really a variability in the game setup otherwise. I think, oh, I don't know. That's a tough question. I would say, I would say yes, in a snap, if you like, just were like, oh, like answer this question and you'll, or you'll never play a game again. I would be like, okay, uh, high stakes. Well, I didn't want to say like something more violent because this is a family friendly show. Um, that I talked about a salmon bone in my throat, <laughs> but uh, no, um, I think I think it I think it fits um, because people have different powers and it changes the way the game is played. Um, now I think social deduction games are on the complete opposite end, where having a different power doesn't necessarily push you into a specific route to play the game because you kind of, for the most part, want to start by laying low a little bit and seeing how mm-hmm. things build up which is a good transition into my online werewolf game. Uh, I'm still in it. Uh, it is a long form werewolf game. Uh, <laughs> so AKA an oxymoron. Yeah. So at first, to be honest, I was like, wow, this sucks. And I, I really, really doubt anybody that plays this listens, but I'm going to try and keep it spoiler free. Cause there's a rule where like, you can't, I guess, like, if other players find out what you're saying about it, like, your your mod killed, like, the moderators kill you, and you're out. So, like, I'm going to try and keep it kind of vague, but also I'll say a few things um, because I'm very confident nobody listens to this Um, from the game. From (laughs) the game. Nobody from the game listens to this. I'm very confident nobody from the game listens to this. Um, On Discord not doing a like voice chat based werewolf doing a text based werewolf game is just nonstop notifications on discord. Yeah. That sounds like insanity. Hundreds and hundreds of messages. So I actually muted the channel because Uh I know that I check discord enough to like go back in and just look, but it's hard. It's hard to keep up with what's going on now. I don't care. I'm just going to whatever. I'm just going to say I'm Yoda. I was given. So it's a Star Wars themed werewolf. The oldest werewolf. Yeah. So I'm I'm Yoda. And what Yoda is allowed to do. And this is hard for me. Uh, during the day. Uh, I can just play as normal. But at night I am told by the moderators what totem I can force push to another player so I won't know until the night phase what totem I'm pushing. The town and the wolves, like nobody knows what the totem does. 
but they know that they've received one. Okay. Um. So night one, I don't know if they did this on purpose, but night one, I got the death totem, which means I just basically am giving a totem to another player. If they don't find a way to protect themselves, they're going to die. And how do you protect yourself in this? Uh, there are characters, I guess, who are protector roles okay. um, in this one. Uh, but what's hard is on day one, I have almost no information for like who I should push this totem to. Mm-hmm. So literally what I did was I gave the list of players to Ashley because she could see like the name and I just was like, pick one. Um, so she picked one. And then what I did was if the person came out and like said that they were somebody that was a villager, I would like nix that choice because like I would know, but she chose somebody who like maybe said five things all day. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So I pushed it on this person and um, we'll see what happens, I guess. Cause the, the next day phase hasn't started yet, but day one was super eventful. Um, people were like claiming roles and I like, someone was like, Oh, who are you? And I'm like, I am Yoda, so it's nice that I was immediately believed as, like, Yoda, because people were like, no wolf in their right mind would claim, like, the most powerful person, like, in the game. Did you say, tell you I cannot? Uh, I did at one point, yeah. Um, So, someone has claimed Luke Skywalker, Um, someone has claimed, uh, and this is where it gets interesting, someone's claimed Admiral Akbar. someone's claimed uh han solo and then we actually had chewbacca who's a protector role mod kill themselves so you're not allowed to edit your text because it's considered cheating because discord doesn't have like an edit rollback feature so you can't see what someone said um and they said something and then edited it and said okay bye everyone and i guess they got themselves killed because as chewbacca they're allowed to give information to han solo before they die And I'm not sure. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure what they found out on day one that they wanted to mod kill themselves. But I guess we'll find out because nobody's like said they're Han Solo yet. But we know that they're in the game. But where this gets nuts is someone who hadn't talked all day popped back in and was like, "Uh, I'm Admiral Akbar," And we actually ended up voting that the original person who said they were Akbar was a wolf because they they seemed a little suspect and they were a wolf they were Darth Sidious so we actually killed a wolf in day 1 wow um which is a big deal but it's an 18 player game with we don't know how many wolves or independent characters or anything um and i just i actually just got an alert that day 2 is going to begin at 1 p.m. eastern today so all right how we'll long see. do you think the game's going to take uh they said that it probably is like a week or so so i'm looking at like the previous ones because the discord channel has like the last three werewolf sessions they played and it seems like they all end about day six or seven so they they seem long next week how it went then yeah it started off where i was just like uh this is a little weird but i'm actually kind of enjoying it now especially now that like i've seen the night phase and what yoda can do which is a variable player power all right the thing we were talking about yeah i'm bringing it back so you have any other ones to mention before we go to number three um for variable player powers uh, you mentioned you kind of mentioned the big ones that i was that i was gonna bring up um 
I mean, I guess Gloomhaven, which I've mentioned, you have, you know, different characters get different. Well, actually, I think that falls in into components more than powers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I can move us into that one. Um, Gloomhaven, the only difference in like your actual starting character setup, I guess, is how much health you have at level one. So Ashley chose the red guard who has more health than my hatchet character. Um, so she's supposed to tank a little bit more. But other than that, we each get our own set of cards to use, um, which is where the variability comes in. So our cards all do different things, but I will never get a card that Ashley has. And Ashley will never get a card that I have. Um, so in terms of that, I don't know if that's really variable setup right. as opposed to variable gameplay. But that's the variability in Gloomhaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the variability in setup for games where I think it doesn't count. Uh, I think Azul is the perfect example of this because you're going to get different tiles onto those discs every round, but that doesn't really make it variability of setup for me. It's just kind of how the game works, you know, because just to go back to food chain and clans, you know, that different map every time dictates how the whole game is going to go. Whereas getting some tiles on this disc round one doesn't really make a difference round two. And it's the same for, in my opinion, for deck builders, you know, whatever deck, whatever, not decks, whatever cards are in the market at the start are just whatever cards were in the market at the start. And that's kind of changing throughout the game. And it doesn't have the long lasting effects that, you know, map creation and starting with a totally different player power have. Uh, So my question for you then, because the one that sprung to mind a little bit for this, but I'm not 100% sure because when you just said that it doesn't long-term affect the game, this could long-term affect the game. So I'm not really sure, but it's Blood Rage and drafting your cards at the beginning of Blood Rage. Would you say that Blood Rage does not have a long-term effect from the drafting variability because you're really only using those cards for that one round of the game? I say no, because I think the core idea that we have behind variability of setup is non-gameplay things that happen at the start of the game. So just, you know, getting dealt a different player power, creating a different map, having different resources available that we don't think counts. Okay, then yeah, I would would say that Blood Ridge does not count, but that was one that came to mind on in terms of different, you know, cards and tiles. Um, right. One that could count is Scythe, because each player power that you get from the start and the different board and board uh, combo. What are the two boards called? Your action board and your industry board. Your faction board and your. Oh, I missed ca- a letter. Uh, industry board. I don't know your your faction board and your character board. I guess. Anyway, the different combos that you get in there. Yeah definitely have long-lasting effects um this one might fall under cards and tiles components and player powers but Battlestar Galactica um because you're getting I mean you're getting dealt cards and you're getting dealt different cards than other people even though those cards are common to the game but you're also getting dealt a personal card which gives you different powers throughout the game that you can use um, but that might also fall a little under the social deduction bit. 
Right. Um, but yeah, I that one kind of just came up. It's a little that one's a little iffy for me, though. I think this category as a whole is a little iffy, which is a, why you said it doesn't necessarily count toward variable setup. Right. Um, so why don't we move I, yeah. to sneaky category number four then? Yeah, Multiple go for of it. the above. Uh, so you've already mentioned a couple of these, but I think any game that has different maps and also different player powers is really just going to have the highest replayability possible because mm-hmm. there's so much that you can experience game to game that can be wildly different. Yeah. So Twilight Imperium has these crazy different factions that have wacky powers and you would want to create a map that benefits your own player power as well. So there's just this great interaction that you get. And, you know, 17 different alien races to choose from, even more with the expansion that I have and won't touch for a year and a half because of a global (laughs) pandemic. Uh, It really just changes up the game. And I think having these two different types in the same game is really good. Yeah, and I think... I think the one that I would like to add to this is Cthulhu Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the different player powers, each faction has specific powers, specific components, great old ones to use. And where you want to play on the map changes because you're placing out gates at the beginning of the map or at the beginning of the game. Um, you're placing out gates where you're going to spawn your monsters and things like that. So you're changing where you want to come in on the map and you can't even win the game until you finish your faction spell books, which are all different. So you need to satisfy certain win conditions for each faction as well. So there's a little bit of player power. And while the map itself is not variable, there are pieces that you vary in location on the map themselves, Mm -hmm. which I think covers that. And then one more that just came to mind for me as I'm looking through BGG, as I always say I do. Um, And this one, I guess, you tell me if you consider this map. Like, I don't really know where I would put this one, but Castell. Because you're changing the, not only the order, I would say this is like a board state variability, because you're changing... That's what I was thinking as well, because I... I also thought of this game before this discussion because it is on my shelf and that is where I said I like to look. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, it's the difference of where the powers are or where the skills are, right? Well, it's going to be where the skills are, what order you're going to be performing in, and also what what little children are going to be placed out at what specific location on the map. That's right. So there's like three different board state variability points. So that one kind of came up for me. And well, no, that's not set up. So I'm not going to say player powers because you're doing the upgrades in game. So that's not at setup. But right. And the only reason I kind of don't think Castell would qualify is because then we are saying, you know, like any game that has buildings that you can build like Tolkien. Like, you know, what what comes out at the start is what you can build. That seems to me like the deck builder category. Okay. Yeah, okay. 
Makes sense. I just I saw that and was like, oh, there's like three points on this map that change. But the map itself doesn't change. So mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. But uh, yeah, the uh, Cthulhu Wars was like the bigger one for me. And I had mentioned earlier Black Rose Wars and Cloud Spire. Um, and, you know, I feel like looking through my BGG list, there's like so many games I could like Imperial Spells and Steam. Mm-hmm. Each faction has completely different like specific powers and you're also setting up i think the board is similar to clans of caledonia how you're setting that up um and you're placing out like resources in specific places as well um which change things so that's another one i would like to play again soon i I look i sometimes i look longingly at this bgg list and i'm like i'd like to play this game again soon and that's one of them Maybe you and Ashley will give it a go. Maybe. We'll see. That is it for this week's episode of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. We are currently planning on having a postmortem, a uh, retrospective of the D&D campaign next week. It is concluding this Thursday, correct? Yeah, it should be. I I see zero reason why it will not conclude this Thursday. All right. Well, we are planning on having Jordan and Nick on the show next week. We're going to try our first four-person episode and see how big of a mess we can make. (laughs) Should be fun. So join us next week. (laughs) Sounds just like the D&D campaign. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That is it. Thank you, Ben, for... uh, surviving dislodging the bone from your throat (laughs) thanks to uh advent health in tampa florida for getting it out of my throat and thank you louisa (laughs) for the great music throughout